want to do a quick ask before we get into today's podcast from my listeners. As you may or may not be aware, we are doing a podcast giveaway contest. This is for a listener survey that is available via the link in the show notes of this podcast. So if you could please take five minutes to fill out that survey, let us know how the show's doing. I really would appreciate that feedback and you're automatically entered to win a talent 409 swag bag, which has got some cool stuff in there. So take a minute and let's get started with the pod. Welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Network. We are helping people discover their talent altitude. On this pod, listeners can learn about leadership and other related attributes from former and current successful business people, coaches, and athletes. Each episode will bring you conversations with people that display the seven pillars of dynamic leadership. Someone who possesses those seven pillars has courage, drive and accountability, integrity, grit, great communication skills, a high level of emotional intelligence, and they can motivate others. We will also talk with individuals that use their athletic and competitive experiences to lead in life, in business, community, or in their family. For more information on the podcast or Talent 409, please visit talent409.com. You can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, all at Talent 409, and connect with me on Twitter at Colin Talent 409. The Dynamic Leaders Facebook group is also a great way to interact. Type in Dynamic Leaders in your search bar and ask for an invitation to this exclusive group full of leading professionals. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. If you have time, please take a minute and on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and review. On today's episode of the podcast, I have Bill Ferrario on with me. Bill is a former football player at the University of Wisconsin for the Badgers and later played in the NFL for the Packers, the Redskins, and the Panthers as an offensive lineman. He currently works in sales. He's from Scranton, Pennsylvania, my hometown. Super insightful, very interesting, very funny guy. This is going to be a really great conversation. But first, let's sit back, relax, get comfortable, get excited, and let's listen to Velvet Revolver. Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today I have Bill Ferrario on the line with me. Bill, so great to have you on. Thanks a lot. I'm excited to be here, Colin. Absolutely, absolutely excited to have you as well. And we have so much to talk about today. And I know you're excited to talk and I'm excited to have you. So let's get right into it. And I want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to everybody and tell us who are you? Way to say I'm a kid that uh, grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Was involved in pretty much every that other boys were involved in at a young age. Everything from scouts to piano to band. My true love, my whole life, was baseball. And around middle school, uh, my dad and a couple of my baseball coaches talked me into uh, giving football a try, and I did. And uh, never looked back from there. I ended up getting a scholarship to the University of Wisconsin. 
played four years for the Badgers and ended up being drafted in 2001 to the Packers and uh, played a couple years in the NFL. So cool. I'm always so interested in stories that have athletes who just casually pick up a sport, you know, in high school, they're like, yeah, I didn't have any interest in it. And then all of a sudden you're a pro, what, you know, eight years later. So (laughs) five years in the NFL. and uh, Yeah, that's how it started off. I always played pickup football with my buddies, but uh, had no interest. And I think a lot of it was being an offensive lineman my whole life. When I was young, I was always a little bit oversized. And uh, because of my weight, and that's how football was uh, dealt with back in the Scranton area. And I think when I was nine, I was going up against 14-year-olds, and my mom said, no way, you're not going to do that. So <laughs> I stuck with baseball my whole life, up until end of middle school. So was there anything about like the practicality of potentially getting a football scholarship or to – I mean, you might have had aspirations, obviously, to go pro one day, but was there anything about – that part of it that said, you know, to your mom or to anyone in your family that was like, Hey, yeah, let's, let's give this football thing a try. Like we, we love baseball and baseball is great, but I think football can be the avenue that can get me somewhere. You know, I think deep down in my dad's head, he saw that and heard, you know, I, I played a lot of baseball growing up and he heard from a lot of my baseball coaches, you know, Billy's got good feet, you know, he's a big kid. He could be aggressive, you know, I, I, that everybody thought I'd do really well at it. I think at an early age, and you know, one of the things I say to kids uh, today that are at the high school level is I was just having fun. I mean, if you asked me in second, third grade, yeah, my occupation was I want to be a professional athlete. But at that time, there was no specialization back then. You know, we just went out during the month that you had your sport. You played your sport and had, had fun with your best friends. And then when your sport was over, we played pickup games nonstop all summer long. The biggest rule I had to live by was when the streetlights come on, you better be home. <laughs> and we'd be out all day, every day, just playing. We'd go from playing a pickup game of baseball to playing pickup basketball, to playing tackle football, you know, two-hand touch that turned into tackle football out on a baseball field. So we just had a lot of fun. For me, I don't think I actually saw the potential until probably the end of my sophomore year when I uh, transitioned into a starting role on my high school team and just had had a lot of success. And I had a lot of success without having much knowledge, true knowledge of the game of football. And that's where I realized the bigger I get, the stronger I get, the, the more intelligent I get about my sport that I do have potential. And at that time it was potential to just get to the next level. I was looking at college where I knew I came from a, I'd say a a comfortable middle-class home, but I knew at a young age it was going to be challenging for me to go to college financially. And I think once uh, football started going well, I think that was a huge benefit. And I knew probably by my junior year, I felt confident if I keep going on this path, I'm going to have an opportunity to uh, get my college education paid for through football. Very cool. So take us back to that junior year then. Now, you've mentioned you're already having some success, so you're feeling good. When did the offers or when did the recognition start to come from the collegiate level to say, you know, hey, we're interested in you too and we think that you can play with us? So my recruitment process was, uh, I'd say, strange or awkward uh, to say the (laughs) least. I was very unrecruited throughout my high school career. I think by the end of my junior year, I was getting the typical letters that I think most decent high school athletes get. I mean, I remember on my high school football team, there was probably 
six of us that get, were getting letters. Now, granted, I might have been getting a couple more letters from bigger schools, and we were all getting letters from the smaller local schools. Even after, you know, when I, I enjoyed giving talks to uh, all different types of groups, and one of the things I start off saying in my speech is too short, too slow, too weak. Those were pretty much the words I lived by throughout my whole high school career, where outside of my family, my friends, and my coaches, a lot of people didn't really see much in me. I think after my senior year of high school, I was honorable mention all-conference. And by, I think, uh, signing day was the middle of February. By January of my senior year, the only official offer I had was from the University of Buffalo, which was 1AA at the time. What they were trying to sell me on was they were going to be Division One by my junior year, that if I went there and committed there, I'd be a, I'd most likely be a starter right away as, as a true freshman. And they're you know trying to pump me up like, you're going to be able to achieve this and that. It wasn't until probably the end of January, all of a sudden I, you know, my dad and I, we started sending out VHS tapes back in the, back in the mid nineties <laughs> to all the colleges. And uh, sure enough, Wisconsin called me up, you know, hindsight, probably over 20 years later, I look back and I know for a fact without being told somebody probably turned down a scholarship to the university of Wisconsin, which opened one up that late in the recruiting process, but they brought me out for a visit. I remember meeting with Coach Alvarez uh, on a Saturday. And by the time I got home on Sunday, my dad wasn't able to make the trip. And he had a notebook with about 25 schools that had offered me after they found out Wisconsin had offered me. Wow. So for me, Penn State was one of those schools that I always wanted. Any kid in northeastern Pennsylvania or any kid in the tri-state area always wants to go to. They were my first choice, second choice, and third choice. And the biggest thing that happened to me with Penn State during the recruiting process, I was recruited as a defensive lineman. So I uh, had a couple conversations with Jerry Sandusky, who was the defense coordinator at the time. And I remember the last words that I ever had with uh, Penn State University was at hearing Jerry Sandusky tell me over the phone when I asked him why I haven't been offered a scholarship yet. His exact words were, Bill, you're not big enough for tough enough to play Big Ten football. So I follow up right away and I said to him, well, what about a walk-on, even though I knew my parents couldn't afford to send me to Penn State to be a walk-on. But I said, what about a walk-on? He goes, no, we gave out all those as well. You know, you're just not, you're not cut for the Big Ten. So it was about maybe 10 days and two weeks later, Wisconsin offered me on a visit and went out there. And once that scholarship was offered, there was no, uh, no going back. Wisconsin beat Penn State my senior year of high school to break a 20-game home win streak. And I just said I wanted to be a part of that and a part of uh, – battling against a school that didn't want me sure so that was a lot of my motivation going into college <laughs> revenge is a great motivator that's for sure yes, so it is. <laughs> so i want to stick with the recruiting process a little bit more and talk to you well i want to get your opinion because recruiting has obviously changed pretty significantly because of social media mainly uh since the time where you were in school and you mentioned sending yeah. vhs tapes and i wonder how things have changed in the sense that it seemed like you, and maybe this is because you didn't have an education on what to expect during the recruiting process, but it seemed like in the beginning there, you were waiting for the schools to come to you. And then ultimately you got to a point where you were like, okay, maybe I need to start reaching out to them to let them know I exist. Uh, especially, sure. you know, back then when it wasn't as easy to connect, I feel like today and you may or may already not know this, but I feel like today when you talk about recruiting in high school athletics, like people are on that the minute they get into high school, 
and they are putting together like the best of the best like videos and things that they're sending out to all these schools. And I almost wonder like if it's completely switched where people are being too aggressive now and they're scaring schools away or they have like their parents calling on their behalf and they're you know scaring them away on that. Is there, do you feel like, like the recruiting process should be just like it is for a job process where there yeah, should be so, middle ground? So my biggest take on it is, it is dramatically different. And when I was uh, when I was coming out, it was challenging for uh, schools to know each of those players that were out there. Where today, with the internet, with everything that's going on, colleges know. And the biggest thing I say to parents, you know, there's all these companies out there asking to take their money to to build highlight tapes, to build websites, to do this and that. And I look the parents and the student athlete in the eye, and I say. Just do it on tape, meaning put your effort on the field. Yeah. If you put it on the field, whether it's the baseball field, football field, basketball, whatever sport it is, if you do it on the field, in today in this day and age, they will find you. I don't care if you're only that kid that's good enough to play Division Three; they're still going to find you if you put it on the field. I, th- I personally feel, and talking with some of my teammates that have gone into coaching and I have a brother-in-law that's a coach at, at the Division One level in football, and uh, you know they laugh when they see all these, <laughs> you know how detailed like the huddle is and the the this and the that, like how how much time and effort people put into it. And they're like, if you have a bad performance, you can't make it look good by having an awesome website and an awesome video. If you have a great performance, it doesn't matter because it's great and people are going to see it's great. You yeah. know that I just it, it comes down to just just do it on the field and people will find you. That's my take. Yeah, absolutely. I tend to 100% agree. I think that, like you said, if you're doing something good on the field, someone's going to see it. So might as well put your effort into there and it's free that way. Like you're not paying ridiculous amounts of money for a recruiting video that may or may not get seen. You know, exactly. when and, and I'm not against the video, you know, like that's, that's been around forever. I, I'm just against people, parents wasting money. Right. You know, if you have to pay somebody a couple bucks to help edit and, cut and paste and put a tape together that's fine you know to do like what i did and you know you're not getting recruited as heavily or by the school you want and you want to send it out but chances are they probably already know of you chances are they probably have already seen you on tape same thing too with the highlight tape. highlight tapes one thing but you talk to any college coach after they see a highlight tape if that tape is anything decent they're going to ask for a full game tape because basically what they want to see they know your good plays they want to see how bad your bad plays are you know, like you, you could be a lineman pancaking guys on your highlight tape left and right or a, a defensive guy making tackles or interceptions or sacks. But they want to see what are you doing when the ball's going away from you? What are you doing when uh, when you get tired? How are you playing then? How's your where's your where's your aggression level when uh, things aren't going your way? That's mm-hmm. what they want to see in the game tape. And that's what I think truly makes a difference. Absolutely. I think that's awesome perspective, especially if there is a high school football, baseball, whatever sport it is listening right now. Don't waste ridiculous amounts of money on recruiting videos. Just get them something and figure it out from there. But so I want to move to uh, back to Wisconsin then and talk about your collegiate experience. It was very uh, successful, very interesting. You got to block for a Heisman Trophy winner. Tell us about what that experience was like. It was unreal. You know, the stars definitely uh, aligned in my favor with uh, making that choice. I went to the University of Wisconsin in 1996 as a as a redshirt freshman defensive lineman. You know, I was 6'2", maybe 
260, 270 pounds, starting my first, not starting, but participating my first year, my redshirt year as a, as a defensive lineman. And my hopes and dreams at that time, looking at it realistically, were by my junior year, I was hoping to be in the two deep rotation to uh, maybe not be a starter, but to get playing time. And I was just trying to be realistic about things, looking at who we had as starters, who we had as upperclassmen ahead of me that were more experienced, that were better than me at the time. And uh, luck had it, my redshirt freshman year in college, of the five offensive linemen, my redshirt freshman year, we actually played six guys. We rotated a guard in there. Of the six offensive linemen, we graduated five of them. So we had one guy returning at left tackle. I was approached by my position coach and the offensive line coach saying, do you want to switch to offense? Being stubborn and being a guy that liked defense and, you know, liked the ability to get a little bit of individual glory. I was like, do I have to? (laughs) And their response to me was, uh, you're going to be a starter and it's going to be your job to lose if you switch. I go, okay, what should I change my number to? So it was easy enough. (laughs) Once they said you're going to be a starter and it's your job to lose, I knew I wasn't going to lose it uh, once I had it. So switched to offense that first year in, in uh, 1997 was my first year starting of the five offensive linemen. We had 12 starts and they were all in our left tackle. So me at left guard, my center, my right guard, my right tackle, we all had zero starts. I remember the first game, my freshman year, we played uh, Syracuse in the kickoff classic to start the college football season. And it was the first and only game in my sports career where I was shut out. We lost 33 to nothing. And I remember all of us looked at each other in the eye and we're like, this isn't going to happen again. You know, we might be a inexperienced offense and an experienced team, but we're not going to let that happen again. That year in 97, we ended up finishing the year A5, went to the Outback Bowl. We lost that in 97 uh, to Georgia, who had a phenomenal defense. I think seven of their defensive players ended up getting drafted. I think five of them were first-round draft picks. They just looked each other again in the eye and said, you know, we're done. You know, we're not going to January 1 bowl games, which at the time, before the BCS and all that January 1 bowl games were the big deal. We just said, you know, we're not going to go to a January 1 bowl game and lose anymore. We didn't, you know, one of the best quotes ever from my teammates, my left tackle said, uh, I didn't come to Wisconsin to lose bowl games. I came here to go to Rose Bowls and to win Rose Bowls. And uh, going into the next season, we upped our goals and, you know, our goal wasn't anymore just to make a January 1 bowl game. It was to go to the Rose Bowl and win it. And luckily, which helped us out a little bit, we had Ron Dane, future Heisman Trophy winner as a running back, which made blocking a heck of a lot easier as an offense. And uh, between the offensive line, getting experience, and Ron just running like there's no tomorrow, we ended up making the 1999 Rose Bowl. Still remember this day, Craig James, the ESPN sports analyst, said, we were the worst team ever to be selected to play in the Rose Bowl. We were playing against UCLA. UCLA had lost uh, a late-season game to Miami. UCLA really thought they were going to be playing uh, Tennessee that year in the national championship, and they were disappointed because they had to play us. They thought it was going to be a walkover game. Needless to say, we ended up winning that game. Ron won the MVP. I think he rushed for almost 250 yards in that game. The next year... I remember Coach Alvarez saying to us that no Big Ten team in the history of the Rose Bowl, and I think at the time there was like 90 Rose Bowl games, no Big Ten team had ever won back-to-back Rose Bowls. And our eyes just lit up. We're like, there's our new goal. We're going back, and we're going to win it again. In 98, my uh, junior year, 
made it back to the Rose Bowl and uh, beat Stanford. And next year, Ron got MVP again, rushed for almost 250 yards, and uh, ended up winning Heisman that year. So still this day, I go, I wish uh, – I wish a Big Ten team would break the record. I wish Wisconsin would get back there and break our record. But uh, we still are the only Big Ten team to win back-to-back Rose Bowls. And it's one of those, like, feathers in your cap that it's, uh, you know, it's fun when you get together with teammates, just knowing, you know, that we had, uh, between the Heisman and the Rose Bowls, we had an opportunity to really uh, make some history that we're proud of. And, you know, now we're our kids are getting old enough where we're able to brag to them about it as well. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure that they love that when when you brag and tell stories. Probably like, Dad, come on, you know. <laughs> but um, my son's getting old enough where he gets excited uh, hearing the stories, and he's getting diehard into sports and statistics. So he's really uh, enjoying everything there is about Badger sports. Very cool. Very cool. Obviously, have great success both on an individual level at Wisconsin as a team. Now, when did you start to think that? hey, maybe this could go even further, like I could make a career out of this? I think it was probably around my junior year of college where I really, you know, I started getting some individual awards and and recognition uh, after my junior year. And I, you know, my left tackle, he was highly touted coming out of college. And I saw the experience he went through between the combines and the draft and pro day and, we were doing, uh, we did a junior pro day at the University of Wisconsin, which I don't know if schools still do, but a lot of schools did that back then where scouts were able to come in and watch the juniors participate in uh, similar pro day activities. Things were going well. And, and I think by my junior year, I truly committed myself to be a better offensive lineman, a, a better football player, where I honestly say, looking back, my, my freshman, sophomore years, I was, I was a good left guard, but I did not understand our offense. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming out of a high school and I love, and I'm happy. I went to West Grant high school in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and I'm honored to, to say that I'm an alum of that school. But to be realistic, we had a, we had a very old offense, a very old traditional. It was like handoff, right? Handoff left. You know, there wasn't much terminology. We didn't have a playbook. When I got to college, it was the learning football from square one. And by my junior year, I really took it upon me to sit, to meet with quarterbacks more often to, you know, we met as a line more often and we truly wanted to understand what the whole offense is doing and why, why are we taking this step? What's the guy behind us doing? Why, you know, why are we leaving that man unblocked? Is the wide receiver coming down to block him and understanding how the play works as a total offense and not just as an individual. So at that point, I think once I started doing that, I knew that was going to help benefit me for the next level and to prove that I deserved an opportunity at the next level. But similar in college is coming out of high school. There were a lot of scouts that uh, I, I joke, my buddies still give me, give me grief about my height and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I argue, I'm like, I was probably one of the shortest left guards ever played in the national football league. And it's probably not, I'm sure there was a couple shorter than me, but it's probably not that far off being six, two and a half where my college line, I think was, Six seven, six five and a half, six six and a half, and six nine. So I was uh, definitely the short one on the line. But you know, I think it's just being able to hear stuff like that throughout life and being able to fight through it and not take no for an answer. You know, just somebody gives you a challenge and you're just gonna you're gonna bust through that wall and keep going after your goals that you have set. 
Yeah, I think one of the really interesting points that you made throughout that experience, and I'm interested to hear if it's something that you still do in your daily life, was you recognized that you had a weakness and it was affecting you and it was affecting the team. And you took it upon yourself to try to better yourself and learn and reach out to the other members of your team, the quarterbacks, and say like, hey, how can I be better at this? Is that a practice that you take with you on a daily basis now in your life after sports? Like, is that something that you still do when you struggle with something maybe at work or in your personal life? Absolutely. I think everyone has to understand if you want to be great, you have to understand your imperfections and your your weaknesses. And if you're not going to improve upon them or make an effort to improve upon them, I think you're going to really struggle trying to reach your goals. And whether it was, whether it was me in football, understanding that, bettering my knowledge on the offense. And, you know, like, it's funny looking back for me, I was truly looking at it as an individual standpoint, but what it ended up turning into was, I think we all really improved, especially as a line, because, you know, I wanted to know more. My teammates wanted to know more. And we all admitted like, Hey, I know what I'm doing on this play. I don't know what the guy two down from me is doing. And even if he told me what he's doing, I don't know why he's doing it because I'm just focused on myself. So I think it was taking that and saying we want to learn more and learn why it's helped. And in life, yeah, whether it's, you know, I'm, I'm in sales now. And anytime I have an opportunity to meet with somebody in my company that uh, 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 specialist in my company that knows more product knowledge, I'm always asking them. I'm drilling them with questions. Why this? Why not that? Why do we do this? Why this way? Why not that way? Just to uh, try to pick anybody's brain and get as much knowledge as you can to for for me in the real world now in, in the sales world it's I want to be the best salesperson out there and I want to be the most knowledgeable and you know I have goals in sales just like I did in sports and it's um, to be the best and if you want to be the best you know you, you have to have that knowledge you can't go in blind and expect for something great to happen you have to put the work in yeah I love that perspective and I love that attitude both for yourself and for anybody that can take that away from this conversation. I think that's just awesome. We get to the point now where you are going to potentially go pro as an NFL football player, which, you know, like you said, wasn't really a, a real dream until maybe late in high school. And then it probably got real, real after the junior year of college. So take us through, just give us some little bit of insider about like what the draft process is like and like how you had to prepare to get ready for the NFL and ultimately what it was like when you found out that you were getting drafted. It's a a ton of scrutiny. I I think every team and every scout, just as much as they're looking for how good is, is that individual? They're also looking for every negative that they could find from with me my number one and probably number one, two, and three negative was I was too short. And my sales pitch was, you know, I, I knew I was too short the first day I got into college. And what I learned and learned how to do well was to play with low and to play with leverage. And I think uh, the other benefit I had, which I think comes from my hometown and comes from my, my high school football team, where I said we weren't great, but we were we were trained how to be tough. And it's challenging for me to say because you know, like I, I think that's a really hard thing to uh, to convey to kids. And I think we're in a totally different era where if my high school coach was coaching today, I think there'd be a lot of phone calls to the principal and AD <laughs> for uh, for what he put us through. But you know, to this day I still thank him. And every time I see him, I go, you know, like 
those were the dog days we went through playing on that West Grand Invader football team. But I go, they were the, some of the proudest moments of my life because it made, as a football player, that made the foundation for, for who I was. I was a guy that I didn't care if somebody was, you know, twice as strong and twice as big as me. I wasn't backing down from anybody. And I, and I always had the confidence that, you know, I, whether it was college against an All-American or the NFL against an All-Pro, that I don't care who you are, I'm going to block you and I'm going to do it successfully. Like, I just had that confidence and, and that all derived from my high school football days. So that's one of the things where the scouts are always looking at, critiquing everything you do. Uh, and then you get to February after your senior year and you, you hopefully you get invited to the Combines. And the Combines, I, I actually wrote an article probably eight, ten years ago about the Combines and I, labeled, I titled it Meat Market because that's essentially – what the combines are, it's it's a meat market for uh, professional athletes. And you're doing everything from taking psychological tests to uh, – and some of these psychological tests, and I know they're more, more and more popular in the business world, but like New York Giants, for instance, they give you a 300-question test. And some of the funniest questions I remember taking on there were, you know, do you get upset if somebody litters on the sidewalk? Would you tell a police officer if you saw – a crime take place. And, and all I'm thinking as I'm answering 300 questions is I just want to play football. You know, like, can't, can't I show you how hard I could hit somebody or how well I could block somebody? And what I tell people is you take a personality test like that, you do it 32, te- 32 times because there's 32 teams in the NFL and each one gives you your own test. When it comes to physicals, you go through a full body physical and you take 32 physicals with all 32 NFL teams, team doctors. Then you get to the meeting portion of it. And keep in mind, you're there for about two and a half days. So you're pretty much going to bed at three, four in the morning, waking up at five, six in the morning. And meetings, I mean, I remember sitting down with GMs at at two in the morning and the offensive line coach walks in and asks you to draw something up on a dry erase board. And you're taking the Wonderlick test, which has become popular. It's, I believe it's a 60 question test in 12 minutes, basically like an IQ test for the NFL. So you go through that whole process and, you know, you just pray that you do the best you can. I, I went into it. I actually had an injury about three weeks before the combine. So a good and bad thing. The good was I didn't have to perform any of the physical, any of the running or agility tests at the combines, which are always stressful. So I had that off my back. But you had to answer questions. Why? Why aren't you running today? You had to relive the injury. Tell them about the injury. Tell them you're going to be better. Tell them how your rehab's going. You get back to Wisconsin. I get back to Wisconsin after the combines, and we had our pro day coming up. I said I was going to rip pro day, which I did, and uh, my injury was I tore a, par- a portion of my my quadricep muscle on the front of my leg, and it still wasn't completely healed. But I knew I had to run because they didn't have a time on me running, and you know they need that time. And so I ran, and I ran pretty bad. I think the best uh, forty time I ever had, but it was unofficial just during uh, practices was around like a 518, 519. And I think in my pro day, I ran a, like a 5.6 or a 5.7. And I could tell everybody was disgusted. And, you know, I was trying to explain that, you know, my legs still give me issues. And that's why that's around the time I realized the Packers were showing more and more interest in me. The Packers actually came out. It was uh, two days before I was getting on a plane to fly back to Scranton to watch the draft. And they said, we need to tie you again. And they go, is your leg healthy? And I'm like, it's a lot healthier. So they tie me in the 40 in our indoor facility. And it's just me, 
the scout from the Packers and our strength coach from Wisconsin. And they timed me. My strength coach shook his head like ah, I wasn't that good of a time. And uh, the scout from the Packers goes, I know what's wrong. Now, you got to picture we're in this indoor facility. There's this football field that's lined and numbered, and it's been there for 10, 15 years. And he looks at me, he goes, this field is lined wrong. He literally grabs a tape measure out, measures, and he goes, that's not 40 yards. Puts a piece of tape down at about 37 and a half yards and goes, that's 40 yards. And I look at my strength coach, and he just puts his finger in front of his lips like, shh, don't say anything. <laughs> so I go, okay. So I run again. The scout goes, that's a good time. I get to take that back to the Packers. So he left. I looked at my strength coach, and I, I go, what the heck just happened? He goes, I think they want you. You know, they wanted a time that would uh, be okay for them to uh, make a decision, and he was going to get it one way or the other. And then flying back to Scranton, uh, my girlfriend, who was my wife uh, currently, girlfriend at the time, I said to her, "Hey, you know, I know this is a this is a huge deal. You know, the biggest thing that's going to happen in our lives. But please don't be talking Green Bay. Don't be, you know, don't psych me out or don't anything superstitious or anything." The Packers had two picks in the third round, and back then they did Saturday was rounds one through three, Sunday was four through seven. So Saturday night comes, third round comes along, Packers took a, a DB with their first pick and then took a linebacker with their second pick, and uh, my dad and my uncles, I thought they were going to throw a chair through the TV, a uh, bunch of Italians going nuts, yelling and screaming, and my wife's ready to cry. She has no idea what she got herself into coming back to Scranton. <laughs> And uh, luckily enough, after the first day of the draft was over, I talked to my agent that night on the phone and he says to me, he goes, Billy, the Packers have, I think it was the fifth pick on Sunday. He goes, they're telling me they're going to take you. If they don't take you, Buffalo has the sixth pick on Sunday and Buffalo 100% is going to take you off the board. So I went into Sunday knowing by the sixth pick, the the fourth round, I should be done. And, and sure enough, the fifth pick, I Right before the fifth pick, got a phone call from Green Bay, and rest was history. They told me they were going to draft me, and the Ferrario family went nuts. I think we bought the 10 items of Packer, Green Bay Packer gear that were sold in Scranton and uh, started a big party. Had a good night. <laughs> That's amazing. I wish I was there for that, I, especially the night before. I can definitely foresee what that was probably like. <laughs> Tensions, the tensions were high, to say the least, the night before. <laughs> yes, but definitely a, a great ending to that whole draft process. And before we move on to your professional career, something came to me when you were talking about everything that you were doing throughout that draft process. And really, I mean, you were selling yourself and you had to be confident. You had to be poised. You had to answer a ton of questions, do a ton of tests. I, mean, I don't think people realize the amount of work that goes into being a professional athlete, but just getting to that point is, is obviously a lot. But I guess my question is pertaining to some of the mental fortitude that you talked about that you learned through football and the, the confidence that you built. Obviously, I know you weren't born that way and it was something that you grew and developed over time, but how do you think you were able to develop those two specific skills? And I think they're obviously were super important to the success that you had and the success that you're still having. I think like any smart athlete or successful person, I'll say like for me, my foundation growing up was my parents, my mom and dad. And uh, I think they really instilled 
all the traits that I've had throughout my sports and professional and uh, in my careers and, and as well as with my family today. So I think it starts there, but I think it's just being committed. You know, what you said, going back to the work that's put in, you know, the biggest thing I say to, uh, with high school kids today is, you know, me and one of my high school buddies that still remain really close this day, we always talk to each other almost every day or every other day just about, you know, our careers and our goals and this and that. And the biggest thing, we, we joke with each other that there's in life, there's talkers and there's doers that we're always going to be in the doers category and not the talkers category where, you know, I'll go to a high school that will invite me in to talk. And usually before I start talking, I'll, I'll interact with the crowd and talk with the students, student athletes, and I'll start asking their goals. You know, what are your goals? And it's, you know, any high school kids win a state championship, get, you know, get this recognition, get a scholarship, get, you know, they, they have a list of, you know, 25, 50 goals. And then you'll look at the coach and be like, how many kids were in the weight room yesterday? Nobody. Everyone leaving school right away at three o'clock or whatever time the bell rings, all the cars are emptying out. And that's where I say there's in life, there's talkers and there's doers. There's people that say they want to do these great things and accomplish these great things. And then there's people that actually put in the work and that stay committed, that, that stay committed through the good times and the bad. Like I said, most of what I focus on and, and remember now at this age are all the good times I had in college, but there was a ton of bad times. I mean, there was a ton of bad losses. I mean, my, my going back to my high school career, my senior in high school, we, uh, I don't think my high school ever won a state championship and we were actually picked to be, uh, you know, one of the top teams to possibly win the state championship that year. We won our first two games in high school and we lost our next nine consecutive games. I mean, we had, the community was going against us. People in the school were going against us, but it's having that, being able to deal with that adversity and stay focused on your goal, stay committed to your goal. When you're in a team sport, say together with your team, or like I always like to say, your family and just keep going forward, you know, just cause you get punched in the gut or you get knocked down. It's, you know, like the old saying, it's not about getting knocked down. It's about how fast you get up. It's staying committed and focused to what your goals are and just keep moving forward. Are you an all-or-nothing person? Do you find you're either on or off the health and fitness wagon? Sweat with Stods has a program that helps you turn habits and fitness into a lifestyle. Healthy Habits is a program designed to help you make lasting, incremental changes in your life that culminate into six new healthy habits. No working out required. With a few intentional minutes every day, you can have a huge impact on your health and life. This program focuses on water intake, steps per day, veggie intake, meditation, gratitude, and stretching. Six habits that will help you look and feel your best. And my listeners get a discount. Head to sweatwithstods.com and enter the code DYNAMIC at checkout for $10 off this program. I've done this program and one of the best things that came from it for me was to incorporate stretching and meditation into my daily routine. It does work. It's not an overnight process, but it's easy. It's incremental and you should really give it a try. And now back to the pot. That's awesome. Thank you so much for that. I think that was really great answer. And I'm going to go back to being a fan now and not asking tough questions. And I want to hear about the NFL career and what that was like. Tell us, give us a glimpse into all of that. 
I think the most exciting thing for me about it was uh, being able to play with Brett Favre in Green Bay. You know, knowing uh, day one when I got in that locker room that he was going to be a Hall of Famer. I think what really helped me, because even though I say all these positive things about myself and the way I uh, went through my life and my career, don't get me wrong, and I think this is with a lot of athletes, I think there's a lot of times where you get nervous, especially when you move to another level, you move up a level. You know, there's going to be those nerves and anxiety. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget my rookie year in Green Bay. We were playing a, a regular season game. And in the locker room for football, they'll have on the dry erase board, it's almost like every three to five minutes, they'll have the actual time. So like at 10 o'clock, uh, long snappers, punters, and kickers go on the field. At 10.05, uh, returners and receivers go on the field. 10.15, and, and it goes all the way down through every position group. And I remember looking at the board because I was always checking it to see when the O-line would go out when we were one of the last groups. So we had time. And we're in the locker room. And I remember Brett Favre starts running around the locker room with a helmet and a jock strap on, just jumping on guys, knocking guys over, trying to sit on guys' laps. And I'm like, what a knucklehead. And I look at the dry race board. And I'm like, he needs to be out on the field in like eight minutes. Like he needs to be dressed, taped, everything on the field, eight minutes because he's starting to warm up. And then we have a game to play. And he goes out there and plays a lights out game. Like I never saw a guy, including, especially including myself, where I was always a guy that needed to focus and prepare prior to uh, stepping on the field, a guy that could be as funny as him and as, as loose as he was before a game and be able to flip that switch and just be a leader, be a guy that uh, everybody had the utmost confidence in and go out there and play like a Hall of Famer like like he, he is today. And, uh, and also on the field, being able to play with him, you know, being able to know there's very few guys where, you know, there might be two and a half minutes on the clock in the fourth quarter and you're down by, you know, 14 points or 17 points. And as an offense, you still have confidence that you're going to win that game. There's very few teams that have that kind of confidence because the quarterback is exuding that confidence and just feels and knows he could score two touchdowns, get the ball back and get in field goal position and we lock this game up. And with him, you know, obviously it didn't happen every time, but every time you had that confidence that he had the ability to do it. So to be able to say I was able to be a part of some of his teams and uh, and play with him in Green Bay, it was just a tremendous honor. And uh, I also got to play with Frank Winters, who was his longtime center in Green Bay. And I think I learned a lot about, you know, how to be a professional, how to play at that level, how to sustain at that level, uh, you see so many guys. I mean, they, they you hear the stat over and over that uh, the average length of a NFL player, I've heard as low as one year, as high as three years. And, uh, you know, just hearing from Frank, a guy that played, I think he played like 14 or 16 years in the NFL, how he did it, what he did. And he was he was another guy that you look at Frank Winters and, you know, he's got this round belly. Uh, you know, his nickname, I don't know how far nationally went, but in Wisconsin it was Bag of Donuts because he looked like the guy from the Dunkin' Donuts commercial, uh, always with the bag of donuts. So he's Frankie Bag of Donuts. And, uh, yeah, but just seeing a guy like that that doesn't look, you know, doesn't look like he's chiseled out of stone but uh, was a pro bowler and made it as long as he did in the NFL, you know, it was a great uh, privilege to be able to, you know, I had a locker right next to him, was able to talk to him all the time. And the other big key thing I did, I think, early on in my career was – I always, I always thought it was 
different that in the NFL you take multiple buses to the stadium and they all leave anywhere from four hours before kickoff up until an hour before kickoff, depending on how much time you want to spend in the locker room. And once I learned that Frank and Favre were on that first bus, I went every time and I'm there four hours before kickoff and just listening to their stories, listening to how they would game plan, you know, just listening to both of them on talking about the offense, talking about what they're seeing, uh, Brett asking Frank, you know, what does he see in this situation? And just hearing that conversation and understanding like those are two great NFL players and hearing the type of conversations they have and knowing that that's what you got to be thinking about. That's what you got to be paying attention to, especially as a young guy. So I think that that helped me a lot and just really made that time in Green Bay a lot of fun and tons of great memories. So let me ask you something. I want to do a little exercise. You had mentioned that one of the things you learned in the NFL through being with your teammates and listening to them was how to be a professional. And I would love for you to be able to define what that means, because I think that can mean different things for different people. But I also think that it's something that being a professional can mean the same thing in sports as it does to somebody who's in the corporate world or something along those lines. So do you have a definition for what that means to you? I don't know if I have an exact definition. I really haven't thought about it word by word, but I think what I perceive of it is, is, is doing things the right way, not trying to cut corners, you know, cause you know, you go out on an NFL football field, they're in an NFL game. You try cutting corners, bad things are going to happen. So it's putting in, putting in the time, doing things right. But also, too, you know, with the NFL, which obviously is different from a corporate world, is you're viewed, you're playing one game for two, two and a half hours on a Sunday or in college on a Saturday. But when you leave that stadium for the next six days, you're out in the, the real world and people are watching you, whether it's whether it's young kids. And, and I remember when I was a kid looking up to professional athletes and you see some of them doing it the right way, some of them doing it the wrong way, where you're hearing positive things on the news about some and negative things about others. So it's just carrying yourself. You know, I always look back at it was, you know, carrying myself the way I was raised by my mom and dad. Like, don't do anything that you wouldn't want your mom or dad seeing you do or hearing that you did. And, uh, you know, I just keep going back to doing it the right way, putting in the work, putting in the effort. And uh, like we said at the beginning, you can't have goals if you're not going to put the time and effort in to achieve those goals. Yeah, I love that. I think it reminds me, and I think you'll appreciate this, of the Joe DiMaggio quote where he once said that some kid may be seeing me for the first or the last time and they deserve my best. So it was one of those things like it didn't matter what he was doing, where he was. It was giving his best, putting his best foot forward and being a professional. Yes, I 100% agree. Now we – and I – have this conversation all the time with people that made it to the professional ranks and people that didn't make it to the professional ranks, but eventually, and this is the worst thing about sports. Like if you want to pick one thing that's terrible about sports is that you, unfortunately you can't play at a high competitive level forever. And it doesn't matter if you're the best of all time, like a Brett Favre or LeBron James or someone like that. Eventually father time, wins every single time and you have to find something else, whether that's going to be staying in sports and coaching or moving on to the business world or moving on to spend more time with your family, whatever that looks like to you. 
what was the process like for you when you were getting towards the end of your career and you had to figure out what was coming next? So for me, throughout my, you know, sort of the opposite from college where I was a, I was a four-year starter. I started every game throughout my college career. Uh, when I got to the NFL, I was mostly a backup throughout my NFL time. In my time in Green Bay, I did play in a handful of games uh, due to injuries from other offensive linemen and uh, being able to uh, – what I learned early on was I needed to evolve as a player to last longer. And, you know, I learned multiple positions, uh, even played tight end a little bit in 2002, mostly in short yards and goal line. But I will make a side note. I did run a pass route in a playoff game. Brett decided <laughs> not to throw it to me, but I did run a route in an NFL playoff game. But I knew I had to do whatever I could to make that career last. And, and how you're saying that no professional career lasts forever. I think the worst thing about football probably compared to any other sport where in other sports, I think you see more often guys retiring where in the NFL, I'd almost want to say it's probably close to 80 to 90% of the time guys don't retire on their own terms. Your service is no longer needed and we don't watch anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the tough thing with the NFL. And, and that was a situation I went through where, you know, I was, hoping to play a lot longer than I did. And after my last, my last season, I had an injury. I got cut, uh, had a couple tryouts, didn't get anything to stick. And, uh, pretty much my, my wife and I, we agreed upon a date, like a specific month that I said, I'm going to go through this month. I think it was week, like four of the next season, keep training and just see if something happens. And if it doesn't, I'll move on. But I think for me, it was tough. And I had a short career. It was tough that this has been your life. And I don't care if it's after college, even, even though the athlete is not truly who everybody is, the athlete is, it's really perceived that that's how you're known as an athlete. And when by in football, the means of everybody that you ask, could I play on your team? Basically say, no, we're not interested. And you're essentially told it's time to move on. It's a tough position you're in because you don't know what to do you know for me it was for me I was lucky that I still had my family my family was close to me my wife I was obviously extremely close with close with her family and I had a lot of support along those lines but at the same time too it's still a shock where you know if you asked me my rookie year and I tell this all the time if you asked me my rookie year how's your NFL career going to play out I would have told you I'd play 10 years for the Green Bay Packers and be a starter for all 10 and I'd retire after the 10th year get inducted in the Packer Hall of Fame and potentially get inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame. That's where my confidence level was at. That's where my goals were at. And obviously it went a different path to where I played a couple of years in Green Bay, got cut, went to Washington for an offseason, got cut, went to Carolina, played a year and a half, got cut, and that was it. And when that's it, like I keep going back to it, it's a shock to the system. And luckily for me, having that support staff around me, I, you know, my wife talking to me a bunch and, you know, I just finally got to the point where I'm like, all right, you know, it's, you know, I probably took a month or two and didn't do anything and just said, all right, it's time to figure out what I want to do. And the one thing I knew, luckily I had a lot of people tell me and I should go into sales. I'm a good talker, you know, this and that. So started pursuing a sales career and did a, a couple different occupations with sales until I really uh, learned what sales was about and established myself in that world and uh, I've taken that and haven't looked back. The one, the one nice thing for me for 
having played for the two teams in the state of Wisconsin and still live in Wisconsin and the way uh, Wisconsin fans view both the Badgers and Packers, I'm still able to be involved with those two teams in different capacities from speaking or doing appearances and stuff like that, which is nice. Uh, I know a lot of players from even players that played a lot longer than me or had a lot more stellar uh, professional career than I did. They don't get phone calls to do stuff like that. And uh, they're amazed when they hear, you know, how the green Bay fan base and Badger fan base is to, to welcoming former players back. So I still have that and have that little aspect where, you know, every once in a while, like this weekend, I'm actually going to do a charity event for uh, Rich Soybert, who used to play for the New York Giants. We became friends over the years. And, you know, so for this weekend, I'm going to be Bill Ferrario, the football player. And uh, my wife and kids will give me a little grief because from time to time they come to these events and see the way, you know, everyone's trying to get an autograph or a picture and they just laugh and they're like, that's my dad. Like, you want a picture with my dad? <laughs> so, but it, it's fun every once in a while to do it for a day or a weekend but then uh i'm totally fine with going back to reality and just being a sales guy a husband a father and uh just really enjoying my life today yeah and i love how you have a really positive outlook on pretty much everything and it just really shows that you're a resilient on top of being a confident person who we talked about that earlier having that confidence that mental fortitude and all of those types of attributes, but you're also very resilient because, I mean, getting cut three times from the NFL, that's got to be hard. And I wonder if you're a better person because of that, you know, going through something that is so hard and so emotional, like you're tied to that. And the other part of the conversation that I have with the people when we talk about life after sports is that that period in your life is usually much longer than the period is where you were actually competing. So for you to take lessons that you learned from the athletic field and to learn from the adversity and learn from the good times and all the great people that you met along the way, I'm sure you've just taken so many different lessons and been able to apply them to your life after sports. And it just seems like altogether that makes you a really positive person, a really confident person, really resilient person and just overall leads to a lot of good things and a lot of happiness, which is really great to hear. It does. And, you know, to your one point about, uh, with getting cut, I joke around with people all the time. They're like, you know, when they say to me like, Oh my God, you know, like that's so awesome. You got to play in the NFL and that's the dream come true. And I bring them back to reality and I say, you know, it is, it's, it's every little kid's dream to be a professional athlete. And I go, I had that opportunity. I go, but you also have to understand for how high the high was for getting drafted or getting signed by a team, there's always going to be the lowest of low when you get cut from that greatest opportunity that's ever come along. And I think uh, probably the three toughest conversations I ever had to deal with was coming home and telling my wife that, uh, you know, we got, I got cut and essentially we got cut because, all right, we're not going to be here anymore. And, you know, it was, but it was, I, I go back to, it was just another form of, of adversity and it's, how are you going to handle it? You know, are you going to, you're going to cry over it? You're going to get depressed over it, or you're going to stand up, go work harder and move on to the next opportunity that's ahead of you, whether it's continuing that career or moving into a, a different career and starting over and, but taking those traits, you know, you mentioned those traits that you learn as an athlete. I've had conversations with guys that, that I played with that, 
you know, after college that didn't make it to the NFL that had a tough transition. And I think the biggest thing I learned while I was playing, I actually learned it from a college teammate of mine that quit football during college and we remained friends. And he ended up getting a law degree while we were in college and he got it faster, faster than most other uh, people that would go for the law degree. And what he said to me was, he goes, Bill, if we, we could handle two days and three days and banging heads on a football field, or I don't care what sport it is, we've all, like, I know you were big into baseball, uh, whether it's basketball or whatever, when you're going through those dog days of camps and training, I just look at it and say, if we could do that as an athlete, there's nothing in the real world that's, that's more challenging than that. Maybe there's a little bit more time you got to put into studying as opposed to the sport in the real world or, or effort you got to put in different areas. But if you could get through those tough times as an athlete, the physical times, the weight room, the running, the early mornings, you could get through anything that you pursue later on in life. Yeah, it's very transferable. Everything that you could take from the playing field, the court, swimming pool, whatever it is to life after sports. And I think you did a really good job outlining that for all of us. So I really appreciate you walking us through just all your experiences. And I want to move us to the learning and development portion of our conversation. Although I'm sure we could continue to talk about football all day, but <laughs> I want to talk about be a part two segment later on. Down the road. <laughs> yes. Yes. We definitely have to do this again because there are so many things that are going on in my head right now. I'm like, ah, oh, man, we could talk about this, but we got we to keep it realistic for people. So let's talk about, we always have a conversation with my guest on the seven pillars of dynamic leadership. And one of the pillars that you identified that you wanted to speak about today was motivation. And I can probably guess why just by you know the course of this conversation and knowing you for as long as I have. But tell us about what motivation means to you and why was it important to highlight that today? So I think no matter what you do, in life, you have to be motivated to do it. And for me, the word motivation and the word goals are sort of hand in hand. Because if you're going to be motivated to do something, you have to have goals to be able to achieve that success. And I sort of have two side stories to talk about motivation and goals. And one, I learned at a really young age from my dad. And what my dad had told me was to look at goals like a ladder. So if you think you have a ladder and you have those rungs on the ladder, you know, say it's 10 rungs on the ladder, that top rung on that ladder, for me, the way he described it to me was, if you want to be a college athlete, that's the top rung. But what are all the other rungs on that ladder that you have to climb to be able to get to the top? You know, that, that the first rung, the bottom rung on my ladder that we discussed was school and grades. That if you didn't have the grades, you know, a college isn't even going to want you to go out there. If you can't get your SAT or ACT score where it needs to be at colleges and even want you, then when it comes to sports, you might want to have a, a college scholarship and play at the college level, but you got to become a starter on your varsity team in high school. Then you have to, be, you know, you want to have team success. You want to have individual success. So each rung of that ladder, as it goes up to, for me, being a college athlete, you got to be able to fulfill each rung on that ladder. And it doesn't matter. And I tell kids all the time, it doesn't matter if that top rung is being a college football player or it's being a doctor or it's being anything you want to be in life or any goal you have, 
visualize that as a top rung on the ladder. And But then you also have to visualize what are the other rungs that you have to be able to step on or accomplish. The other story was I had mentioned about my freshman year in college and how we got off to a rough start and uh, we ended up losing the Georgia in, that outback, in, in the Outback Bowl. At the end of the, the 1997 season, our offensive line coach got us together in the locker room. We didn't even get our pads off yet. And he said to us, he goes, we're, going, we're all going to be leaving for Christmas break. And I think we had about two weeks off before we had to come back. And we we're going to start training again. And he goes, you guys all have one piece of homework over Christmas. He goes, I want everybody to get a rose, a picture of a rose. He goes, I don't care if it's the same picture, if it's a different picture, how big or how small. He goes, I want a picture of a rose and I want you to tape it next to your bed in your dorm or your apartment. And throughout my whole college career, and I still have – the picture that I had in college of that rose. And the purpose of it was we made that decision after that Outback Bowl that we were going to go play in the Rose Bowl and we were going to win the Rose Bowl the next day or the next year. His thought process was if we saw that rose and what it symbolized every night before we went to bed and every morning when we woke up, that we would never take our eyes off of what our ultimate goal was. And we were going to be motivated every day whether it's waking up at 4.45 to walk over to the stadium to get a you know, 5, 5.30 run and then a lift and then go to school and be tired and fight through the day. But you're always thinking about that rose, that that's why you're doing it. You know? And for me, I don't, think it, I don't think it matters what it is. If you want a house or you want a car or you want a new job or whatever, you have to be able to visualize it. But you also, back to the letter, you also have to understand what are the steps you have to take like I say to a high school student that you can't just say, I want to win a state championship and not attack and complete any of the goals you have to, to get to that uh, ultimate goal that you have. So you have to, you have to complete the little steps to be able to achieve your ultimate goal. And that takes motivation. You have to be motivated to do it. You can't take days off. You can't be lazy. And I go back to there's talkers and there's doers. The doers are the ones that are going to accomplish their goals and they're going to be motivated every day to accomplish their goals. And the talkers are just going to talk about it. And those are the guys, uh, I remember my dad when I was a kid used to tell me he was in uh, the business where they used to fix uh, machines inside bars. And during the summer, he would take me in there and occasionally introduce me to people that were sitting in the bar in the middle, after, the middle of the afternoon. And they'd always have the woulda, coulda, shoulda stories that, I uh, I could have went to college if this happened. I should have I should have had a Division One scholarship if this went the right way, you know. And just knowing that, I said I I didn't want to ever have any regrets in life. And I think the motivation I started with and the motivation I continue to have and the way I set my goals and and plan to achieve my goals maintain that I would be able to have a happy and successful career and life without having any regrets. Wow, I. Love that. I think it's so interesting how you can combine both of those ideas from your dad and from your coach and they can almost work as one, right? Like you could take that picture and I'm a very visual person. So like take that picture, I could put it up on a wall and then I could print out a picture of like a ladder and fill in those different rungs on the ladder with what the steps are to get to that goal. And it's such a practical, simple idea. And I love that. I mean, they're separate things, like you said, but I, I'm I'm going to steal those, I think, and <laughs> combine them and do it for myself. So I'm always interested when I talk with people about how they continue to grow and develop. Like, obviously, 
you've had so many great experiences, but I think you realize that you can't just live off your past experiences forever. Like the world changes around you, different things change. You have to get more of an education. And you mentioned how having conversations with people who may be experts within a particular aspect of a business is a way that you can learn. But what are some other ways that you learn? Like, do you read certain books or listen to certain podcasts to get your personal development? So I'd say with personal development with me, it's just trying to, you know, and I think every, every industry and every career is slightly different. And with me in sales, it's just trying to learn as much about my product, learn as much about my customers as I can. And whether it, whether it is reading uh, magazines or books that pertain to my industry, top of uh, the changes that are happening throughout the industry and to be aware of them, you know, where someone's not bringing something up and you're being caught off guard because you're not up to date on what's going on. I think it's just trying to take advantage of anything that's out there. And like I said, for me in sales, it's just taking advantage of whether it's speaking to uh, knowledgeable people within my company that could help me uh, prolong my uh, knowledge about the products and the industry or uh, stepping outside the box and going to different chapter meetings within my industry just to uh, continue to learn on how the industry is growing and evolving, but to stay on top of it, not to just think, hey, I'm a good salesperson. I can build relationships. I, I just have to show up and people are going to buy from me. That's not the case. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't, doesn't matter if you're Bill Ferrari or Brett Favre. You still have to uh, you know, know your product, know your customer. And uh, yeah, relationships in my industry help a ton. You can't just have a relationship and be a dummy about what your what your product is and expect people are going to buy your product. You know, and it's a lot about solving. In sales, too, I, I tell young salespeople that uh, it's not just about selling the product. It's about how do you solve a problem. And I think that's where a lot of the customers, uh, no matter which sales industry I've been in throughout my sales career, or what product I may be selling, I think what's made me successful and made... Uh, my customers believe in me and have confidence in me is because when I get a phone call that there's a problem, I either know the solution or I find it out right away and I help them implement the solution and make their problems go away. And I think for in sales, I think people, customers respect that and, uh, and it helps that relationship grow and that confidence in you as a sales guy is that you're not just another, you know, Joe Schmo walking through the front door or trying to say, Hey, buy my product. Uh, you're going to, the customer out when they need it. Awesome. The show is called Dynamic Leaders. And you've obviously talked about a number of different people that have influenced you in one way or another. But I always like to give my guests an opportunity to shout out one or two people in particular that have really influenced them and they believe are leaders in their own life. So who would that one or two people be for you? I'd say probably... It'd probably be three people. And, uh, you know, first and foremost, it was my mom and dad. Like I said, without them, they truly built a phenomenal foundation that helped me uh, achieve and, and go through that sports career, my sales career, now raising a family and, and, and being a good husband and father. And then, like I said, my high school football coach in, the, in Scranton, Pennsylvania, there was probably just as many people that hated him as that liked him. But uh, like I said, he truly, you know, he, he took a guy that uh, was probably a more quiet guy growing up, a more, uh, I wasn't so much of an aggressive 
type of individual and really taught me how to be a football player and taught me, you know, what I, what I like to say, and, and, you know, I'm cautious on how I say it, especially when I'm around moms, but uh, a tough individual on the football field. And I think that's uh, one of my things I'm proud of that I, I'd say, I tell people, I, I'd like to say almost a hundred percent of my life. I've been a very nice, very uh, compassionate type of person. But uh, I learned in high school how to flip that switch uh, come game time and be a, a tough, nasty person on the football field, which I think, you know, I think from athlete to athlete, you understand those what that means. But, you know, I think it's you have to be cautious when you talk to somebody outside of sports. And, you know, it's not to, to do something illegal. It's not to hurt somebody. But, you know, you have to be willing to go 100 miles an hour and when you have an opportunity or a play that calls for you to hit somebody, it's hitting somebody as hard as you can and, and not just positioning your body or trying to use your hands to hold somebody back. It's, it's being physical and football is a physical sport and took me a, a year or two to figure that out. And, and I got bounced around and knocked down a couple times, but eventually that light switch went off and I owe a lot of that to uh, Jody Antona, who was my coach at West Granton. And, you know, he really got that foundation for me on the football field on how to be a, a tough, nasty football player. And I think that really helped me out, established my football career. And to this day, I, I look back and say, without him, I probably wouldn't have had the football career that I ended up having. So I think my mom, dad, and coach the Antona. Yeah, and I think, you know, it just shows you have that competitive spirit, right? And you are able to fight through all that adversity. And that's why I think that, athletes are so great to learn from and why we've had such a great conversation here today. And you've been able to share so many experiences. It's takes a special breed to, you know, actually be able to compete at a really high level and not let it destroy your life in some ways. (laughs) So uh, I appreciate uh, everything that you walked us through today. And before I let you go, I want to give you an opportunity. I know you've got some uh, ventures going on in your life, uh, Packer related and different things that you're doing, but I want to give you some time to talk about some of the exciting things that are going on in your life. Yeah, I think uh, on a personal level, our daughter is going to turn 12 this year. Our son's going to turn uh, nine. So it's, you know, we're just in that exciting time as parents and they're in tons of sports and just interacting with them. And uh, like I said, on the side, I, I do a, I do different events or speaking engagements or appearances from time to time, but I also am uh, partners in a company called Packer Events. Uh, our website's packerevents.net, and that's a company that markets a lot of mostly former uh, Green Bay Packers. We do have uh, a couple brewers, some former Badgers that played in the NFL for different teams, but just sort of trying to connect them to uh, companies, organizations, charity events that are looking to hire athletes and. Uh, just helping them make that connection and help them make their event that much more successful. So that's one of the things I'm doing on the side and really enjoying it. And just giving me another opportunity to, you know, get back out in the community in the public and interact with people and, you know, help them have a good time and let allow them to enjoy hearing some of the stories and, and uh, yeah. And I think I enjoy it just as much as they do, you know, when I have an opportunity to reminisce and, and talk about the memories that, I was able to make as, as we did today and seeing the, the smile and the glimmer in their eye, reliving it from the fans point of view and me enjoying just talking about it. So, uh, yeah, just enjoying that being able to still stay involved in the community and just enjoying the way the family's been growing and the different experiences we 
get to have as a family now moving on throughout life. Yeah, that's awesome. And we'll put, as I do with all the guests, we'll put the show notes or we'll put that information in the show notes uh, so people can reference it for the Packer events. And Bill, is there any way like in particular, if somebody wants to reach out to you, if they enjoyed this conversation, maybe want to pick your brain or want to talk to you a little bit more, want to learn about sales or whatever it may be. Uh, Is there any way in particular that you like to interact with people personally? Yeah, probably uh, with uh, the different social networks. uh, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, on Instagram. I'd probably say if you had a a specific question like that, maybe LinkedIn might be the the more appropriate term. Don't ask me for all the different uh, profiles. There's probably not too many Bill Ferraros out there. (laughs) Most of them I have the a picture of me with the Packers. So I think it'd be pretty easy to find, but uh, yeah, I'm on all the social medias. I go, don't get nervous. If you don't hear back from me, I go up and down throughout my social media browse and I might be off it for a month or so, but then I'll be on it, you know, every other day. So, but yeah, social media is probably the best way to, uh, to get old. Cool. And yeah, I'll find your LinkedIn and we'll throw that in. So it's again, easy for people and they're not messaging the real, the, the wrong Bill Ferrario. So <laughs> make it easy for everyone here, but sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Well, Bill, I really appreciate you taking all the time today to chat with us. Tell us about your experiences and everything that you've done and everything that you're doing now. I think uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. It was insightful. It was interesting. Uh, you're funny as well. So I really enjoyed the conversation and can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on today. Well, Colin, thanks for having me on. Like I had mentioned uh, leading up to the show, I had the opportunity to listen to some of your, uh, a couple of your previous shows, and I really enjoy what you're doing and enjoy the podcast. It's uh, it's uh, good, entertaining, and uh, you know, you guys, your guests talk about a lot of interesting points and facts. So I enjoy what you're doing and wish you the best of luck. And like I said, hopefully down the road, maybe we could have a segment two uh, and get back, get back on with you. Yes, absolutely. We'll get that planned for the future. Thanks again to Bill for hopping on the podcast today and sharing all of his experiences and stories and all of his advice and information that he wanted to pass along as well. I thought it was a great conversation. I know I really enjoyed it, and I think we will have a part two here somewhere in the near future. So if you liked this episode and you liked Bill, please keep an eye out for part two in the future. I want to say thanks real quick again, as always, to our sponsor, Sweat with Stods. Check out www.sweatwithstods.com and see what she has to offer you for your fitness needs. And thanks, as always, to you, the listeners, for being so great, coming back week after week and listening to this podcast. We are back once again next week with another guest. In the meantime, don't forget the podcast survey, which is in your listener notes. And if you also have time and want to give us a five-star rating and review, please feel free to do that as well.